When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, yeah. Please, please excuse the rasp in my voice. I got taken to a Christmas party by my work people in Tampa. They put me on a boat and gave me an open bar. And uh, my throat knows what that's about. <laughs> so, yeah, but here's what we got today. We've got got the real deal we've got our homie jennings and jennings is slinging merch for one of the best bands out there in four years strong he's also an off-ice official for the echl we are super stoked to have you here and we are really excited to get to talk a little hockey a little music a little refereeing and uh you know whatever whatever the heck else you want to talk about so what's going on jennings how are you my friend doing well i feel like this thing's been a couple years in the making we've just been ships in the night missing yeah. each other on several occasions mm-hmm. to get this thing done, but uh, it's taken waking up at 6.30 in the morning while I'm in Vegas right now to get it done, but we're here. That is the dedication that we love, Jennings. We appreciate it, dude. Yeah, I feel like I'm on the way to like a peewee hockey practice now. <laughs> yeah, You know, it's actually funny. Um, I was uh, recovering yesterday in, in the hotel room, and uh, – just so happened that if you've ever seen it, the uh, the South Park Pee Wee Hockey episode was on. Mm. Uh, have you ever seen it before? Have you, have you guys yeah, seen it? No. Okay. Show other than uh, a couple episodes with the movements guys, they're they're big fans of the show. They're big South Park fans. It's just um, it's it's hilarious because like they're kind of like the premise of the episode is like 
kind of like, uh, you know, your quintessential, like, stupid hockey story where, like, one of the players on uh, Stan's team is, like, sick with cancer. So every time they go out and play, the kid who's sick with cancer is like, you guys are going to win it for me? And it's like, oh, we're terrible. We're just like peewee hockey players. But the best thing they do is, um, like, halfway through the episode, there's, like, a these two rival teams play one another. And it's peewee hockey, right? So, like, they're, like, so it's like, five- and six-year-olds. So, like, they do, like, a puck drop, and they start playing Song 2 by Blur for, like, this, like, huge, like, you know, hockey montage. Yeah. But because they're all peewee players, the hockey montage is all just, like, them, like, barely skating around and, like, not touching the puck and just falling down. And, like, they do all these, like, quick cuts, and, like, it looks like it's, like, this hockey montage, but it's, like, like one of them is just, like, picking his nose. The other one's waving to his mom in the crowd, and it's just, like, every peewee hockey game you've ever seen. Oh, um, just like, like magnified uh, a few years ago when I was still working at an ice rink as a rink I grew up playing at, I would volunteer in the learn to skate, learn to play program, uh, through USA hockey on Monday nights. Uh, most rinks and facilities that are, uh, that have teams will do that sort of thing just cause they mm -hmm. have the try hockey for free programs. Like yeah. the eight week program where They'll give you loaner mm -hmm. here and just try to get as many kids involved. Awesome. And that was a lot of the same thing where it would be like four and five year old kids that like didn't even want skates on. <laughs> they were too tight or, you know, uncomfortable and just very awkward in bulky equipment for the first time. So sure it would have been those kids if you were casting a <laughs> in the film. Yeah, and let me and let me not even like talk shit. Like, I would fare no better on on two skates and an ice rink than any of those five year olds. So, um, you know, not not trying to be out here saying that I'm I'm a I'm a guru because uh, I would fall flat on my face uh, many a times. But hey, that's okay. I'm I'm all for it. So, um, again, Jennings, thanks for for being on here. Thanks for waking up so early. So, hey, let's just um let's just kind of dive in. So, um, we've never really had someone on the the pod who um you know has done really such extensive touring and and has you know kind of done merch managing and all this kind of stuff so i definitely want to get some insight about that because it really is um something that i think a lot of people who aren't in the industry really overlook the importance of you know having someone who's you know not only personable and is able to you know like get out there and sell, but also, I mean, you know, part of your duties obviously include probably, you know, reordering and keeping, you know, really probably detailed spreads of what's been sold and the money that you have and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's, you know, I, I, that's not an easy gig. I think a lot of people just think like, Oh, it's, you know, some dude who's friends with the band and he's, you know, he just sits there for a couple hours while the band plays and he sells shirts, but there's a lot more to it than that. So um, I oh, guess, yeah. I, I guess I, I will, I'd love to hear um, kind of what got you, you know, what got you into this? Like how, you know, maybe like your, your first gig doing merch and how it kind of um, traveled into, you know, doing merch for like a, you know, a really, really big band. Well, uh, it, everybody's path is different. Hmm. Uh, like you said, uh, I am out on the floor most nights with a lot of the bands I work for. And if you think about it, the merch person is the only point of contact for a show that a lot of people are going to have. Yeah. Like, they're always going to be able to like interact with the merch guy because we're physically there. Uh, 
they're not going to get to meet the band every single show they go to. The sound guy is very busy and usually has headphones on. You're not going to recognize a tour manager just walking around through the crowd or something like that. So any sort of compliments, complaints, and everything in between is going through the merch guy. Mm-hmm. And one of the big questions I'll get, I don't want to say every night because it isn't that frequent, but like a few times a week I'll get asked by somebody about how to get into touring. And uh, the biggest uh, thing I tell him is not anything like there's no like, First, you do this, then you do that, then you go to school for this, or you take these courses and do this. It just doesn't work that way. Um, of all the people that I know in touring, I think maybe one or two people went to school to do what we do. Uh, myself in particular, uh, the easiest way to frame it is that I was a horrible musician, played in a band in high school in my first couple years of college. Um, and basically to keep the guys that I was in a band with from kicking me out of the band for being very bad at my, <laughs> uh, I would handle all the business end. Uh, I would book shows. I would handle all the money. I would do the merchandise. I would do the ordering for that. Um, and when that band split, inevitably, uh, two of the guys that were in that band uh, were in the started being playing with brigades a former pure noise band mm-hmm. and they were just mm-hmm. like well we don't really have any budget to pay anyone actual money to do this so if we just pay for you a place to sleep and your food do you want to come on tour with us so uh while i'd been in diy touring for about five or six years prior to that uh the pure noise tour in 2014 was the first like tour or pro tour uh, mm-hmm. that i ever went and I went out with brigades doing merch and tour managing on that. So long story long. <laughs> yeah, I was a bad musician and counted shirts instead. <laughs> now, who was on that 2014 Pure Noise tour? Uh, that was a brigades opened, heart to heart, uh, forever came calling. Uh, a former Pure Noise artist, I will not mention their name because they are uh, Dunzo. Um, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, uh, Handguns and State Champs. And okay. Calling, I don't know if I said them. But yeah, it was it was a big tour uh, as far as the package goes. And we were doing anywhere from like 300 cap rooms to about 1,000. So I think that was either the first or second uh Pure Noise tour, but uh, met a lot of people on that tour that I still remain friends with today and ended up working for <laughs> Handguns at one point, went on my first Warp tour with them, worked for Forever Came Calling for a tour. Uh, the most recent Four Year Strong tour was with State Champ, so uh, a lot of people that are still in my life from a tour seven years ago. So it's funny because, you know, I, I've known you now for about two years. Mm-hmm through you know the podcast and you know you mentioned that pure noise tour in 2014 i also went to that tour so like we were in the same room yeah at the same time just obviously didn't know it um i do remember that you know that the state champs you know they were they were starting to blow up and they played an albany show 
yeah. at Bogies. Yeah, that which, was the first, that was the first show of that tour. Yeah, which was I don't know if it still exists, but it was a hole in the wall, like the yeah. grimiest punk venue ever. And to see like where State Champs was, like they literally packed out every inch of that space, and uh, it was cool. I, I'm pretty sure I met Jake round at that show. I think yeah, he actually and, and flew that's in. That, like Jake, like that's a great friend of mine now. Like I play on the Pure Noise Pond hockey team with him and a couple other guys, Ian Reese, that you guys just had on. So like e- even connections like that, like that tour kind of cemented a lot of it, you know, there, there's a big spider web that has come off of that tour of like professional connections and stuff like that. So it can all kind of be traced back to that tour. Okay. And, um, you know, fear, uh, four year strong is now on pure noise, but you right. know, back in the day they weren't. So like, it seemed like you kind of ran in the pure noise circle how did you end up linking up with the four-year guys? I, I make the joke all the time to people that I've probably worked for more pure noise bands than <laughs> anything else. So, Jake, send me some money, buddy. But, <laughs> that, but I don't know. Uh, no, with four-year, uh, this was 2016. Uh, it, it was around February or March of 2016. And their merch guy, Jay, was going to be done touring that summer. And they were booked for Warp Tour because they did the even number of Warps from 2008, I believe, all the way through the end. So every even year for the last 10 years of it, you could count on four year being on the tour. Um, and I had met John, John Ryan through... Uh, a tour I had done in the winter of 2015. I was with Handguns, and Four Year was doing a headliner um, with Comeback Kid. And uh, Handguns was opening that tour. Just made a friendship with John then, and I think I was just on the short list of people um, that he had in mind, and he called me. He's like, you want to come out with us this summer? And I was just like, Yeah. Yeah, uh, four year was a band I saw on the Gig Life tour in like 2009. Mm. That was a band that I was a fan of. Yep. Um, and uh, did 2016 with them on Warp. We did all of that, and then we did a Cross Canada tour, headed home, and then have been with them on every tour since. <clears throat> yeah, I mean it's um, John Ryan, man. He's um. I- He's a guy I grew up with. You know, I, I grew up on Long Island with him. You know, I, yep. I know him know him very, very well. He's uh I think one of the probably uh, and I mean I, I think if you surveyed a hundred people, um a hundred people would say he's probably one of the nicest guys in this business. Yep. Um but I think outside of being nice, uh, I think another thing that people would say about him who are in the industry is that he's very tenacious. And not only is he tenacious, but um <clears throat> He's a good judge of character with people. Um, yeah. So, you know, one of the things, you know, rolling in circles of his, you know, he knows how to gauge who's able to, you know, to, you know, to really working and get things done. So, um, you know, knowing that he chose on you is, you know, you're part of kind of an elite group there, I, I think. So uh, 
it's an awesome thing, you yeah. know, and, 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 you know, this, this industry and this alternative music and punk rock in general, is just, you know, the circles that people are in, you know, are becoming more of more and more of a family than they've ever been, you know? So I, I think that's, um, that's a great thing. And I think it, it is also a testament to people like Jake, you know, talking about Jake and Ian and, you know, labels like pure noise and all that kind of stuff who really um you know treat their artists well and treat uh you know the people who go out on tour well um and you know make sure that it's you know as comfortable of a situation as it can be just because again um you know like what you do you know like i said in, in kind of the beginning is not an easy thing um and i kind of want to talk about that a little bit um yeah. you know I, I i want some of our listeners to really understand like the enormity of what you do not just being um I had the word in my head as you were saying it, um, the ambassador. Yeah, let's call it the ambassador of the band again, because you're the person that everybody sees and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, you're you're really out here essentially like being a salesperson for this band that you're on tour with. Right. So right. Um, I guess if you want to like give me a little bit of insight, like you don't have to maybe maybe you don't have to like detail it out. But like maybe if you could give me like a normal day in the life of like what you do from sunup to sundown when, when you're on tour. So it, uh, it does depend on the tour. So while, uh, bands like four year, uh, I've done movements for the last four years. Like while those bands eat up a large portion of my schedule and they are mm -hmm. of our like small niche of alternative yeah. music. Um, those days are probably coming into the venue around 11 a.m. noon, uh, just getting set up, uh, inventorying uh, everything I've got on hand as far as like inside the show goes. And then this isn't even factoring into all the work that goes into organizing a trailer and mm. uh, the back and forth with a merch company, getting the orders, making sure the quantities are correct. Mm -hmm. Oh, we're out of this blank because that's something a lot of people don't see behind the scenes right now. There's yep. a garment shortage supply yeah. chain stuff that uh, the pandemic, just little things like that, like trying to find a black t-shirt, and a size medium is like trying to find a diamond right now, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and then as we get set up, just building the display, waiting around on doors and then working the show. Um, and then basically doing the exact reverse, like counting everything out, making sure the money I've brought in matches the inventory reduction. I kind of think um, basically, Anybody that's ever worked a bartending gig, the way you guys count all the booze uh, at the beginning of the day, like that money's got to match whatever the difference is in inventory yep, yep. that's no longer there. Mm -hmm. So uh, the biggest misconception, I think a lot of people think a merch job is like retail. Uh, you'll see a lot of like newer artists. Oh, this person worked at this retail position. They're going to be great. It's not the same thing at all. Mm -hmm. Um uh, it, 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 in theory, it, I guess you could see why, because it is like clothing that you're selling, but there's just a, there's a different pace to it. And, uh, the customer service aspect of it is very different. Mm -hmm. you Absolutely. Know, uh, the one thing that I do like about doing merch, uh, is kind of gauging, uh, the band and what they need mm -hmm. to be and how they want to approach, um, the relationship between their band and the fans. Uh, 
from the merch focal point. Yeah. Uh, in our small world, the alternative rock music, like it, it's not uncommon for somebody to come up and have one too many spill beer all over the table or just be a little too rowdy and it not be, can I swear on here? Sure yeah. can. Tell the kids to fuck off and yeah. I'm going to get mad about that. But, <laughs> but I also work uh, a lot of gigs in the theater world. I worked for the Moscow Ballet for a while. Oh, wow. For uh, Michael Flatley's Irish River Dancing. Uh, Sarah Brightman, an opera singer. Um, I didn't know who she was, but apparently she's a very big deal. Um, those kind of things where it's like an older demographic where it's someone's grandmother, you can't tell them to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> but they still loved the hardest, the dance moms and then like <laughs> the older people that like, they don't have positives. Like, yeah. or, mm -hmm. like in our world, those kids will come to the table and be like, I just want you to tell the band that like, they mean the world to us. Oh, uh, Western Massachusetts loves four year. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Southern California loves movements. Like, please tell them. But, the, the these older people, it's very cold in here. Can you please tell someone to turn it up? It's very loud. Can you have the, the, the audio turned down? Not knowing that I don't have that power. Yeah, of course. But uh, yeah, so it's a different demographic. The dance moms, oh, my child was in the show. Like, we, we I would love a free t shirt. Well, it doesn't work that way. So, <laughs> but yeah, th there's just, uh, I, I've gotten to work with a lot of different demographics of people. I think that would make me useful in a a normie job, but uh, just because I have experience with a little bit of everybody. But you know, um, it's definitely interesting. Now, yeah. stuff I've heard and seen from the merch table, it, it's a weird uh, fly on the wall type situation. <laughs> well, you you mentioned all these different demographics, and and that's kind of why you're out in Vegas right now, right? Yeah, I'm out here with uh, a country artist named Riley Green. Uh, okay. Riley Green is uh, very much on probably the same level as someone like a four-year or a state champs or something like that, where like attendance-wise, they're doing a very uh, specific size room. But the <clears throat> thing about uh, a country is they're so regionally uh, – like the Southeast uh, in Texas and the Midwest, you can just basically call it what it is. Uh, it's such a bigger thing there than anywhere else in the country uh, that those shows are inflated beyond what any of our world's bands can do. Like, uh, so right now we're doing about a thousand cap room here in Vegas. Uh, it is just like some side events to bolster the, the NFR, which is the National Finals Rodeo. So there's a lot of cowboys walking around right now in Vegas. And uh, there's just a couple country shows going on in some of the side side showrooms uh, after the bull riding and everything is over for people to come and do something around 11 o'clock midnight. And uh, country's cool. Like, I like it. Like, the schedule's way different. Uh, country music only does Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and sometimes the Sunday show. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you're going back home every week for a couple of days, which is nice. Um, but it is different. Like it's just another demographic of people that, uh, I haven't worked directly with as far as like a merch gig goes. And, 
the country crowd has their own quirks, just like all of them. And it's just a matter of like getting a few shows under my belt with this artist and figuring out uh, how these people are going to act. But, you know, it's like anything, like give it a couple of shows and you're there. Well, I'm sure they appreciate your, your Southern accent. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, They're it, like one of us, one <laughs> of us. <laughs> there is uh, a weird, like I went to high school with these people. Uh, i grew up in rural south carolina so like even playing hockey is strange enough let alone me being like a yeah i work for rock and roll bands kind of thing so definitely uh, a strange character to come out of my town that's funny that's funny yeah and i i do want to just before we you know shift the conversation a little bit you know you mentioned how you're you're doing a lot of customer service at the merch table, and I witnessed it firsthand at the last uh, Pure Noise tour with you know State Champs and Four Year. You know we were we were hanging out, and a gentleman came over. He missed like the VIP signing, like he showed up late, and like he was so bummed. Like I could see that he was so bummed that he missed it, and like without even thinking, you just like took one of the, the show flyers that were supposed to be signed and like brought it to the back and had all the bands on it and like brought it right back. And you could just tell, like you made that dude's night and like, that's not something you needed to do, but like you, you, you mentioned it. You're, you're kind of that, that, that point of access to the band and you know, you're an extension of the band. And, and that was like, so cool to see. And like, obviously you probably wouldn't like bring that story up, but like I witnessed it and it, it was, it was cool to see. Well, I mean, especially right now. Right. Cause like most people have, haven't seen a show in two years and some people are, haven't been lucky enough to even get back out and go see a show yet. Um, but in a normal year, I get to do that 300 times a year. Right. I'd, I'd see a lot of shows work, a lot of shows. So if that's like that one guy's opportunity that he's spent his money, that he's worked and saved and spent whatever amount of money on a ticket, like, and that was the one thing he was looking forward to and he got stuck in traffic or he had to pick his kid up from school when he wasn't playing, like the, any number of things that could have held that kid up that he didn't make that VIP session. So for me to take a couple minutes for, those four dudes to sign a poster <laughs> is not a big deal. Um, obviously that's something that like, it's uh, every situation like that uh, is just basically, it's not going to happen that way every time. I can tell you that. Cause there's going to be days where I've got a line of 200 people where I can't step away. Yeah. But like there was just a slower start to the show, like, and had the time. So like, if I have it within my capability to do something like that for somebody, absolutely. Um, and there's just like a hundred scenarios of like things like that that happen. You know, I mean, every now and then there'll be guitar picks at the table. Sure, take them. I don't need them. Yeah, I'm not doing anything with them. I think these guys are losers. You know, I don't. <laughs> but no, like, and I understand that. Like, I like I get that question more than anything. You know, the band. Do you know the band? You travel with them? Like, it's like, yeah, they're my friends. Like, 
And that's the big thing is like, while I've worked for a lot of various artists, like that is the reason why I've stuck around uh, our little world of alternative music for so long is because I'm friends with these people. Mm-hmm. Of course. So, and I, I know that they would want their fans to like mm-hmm. have a great time and like have a, an experience they can keep talking about and want to come back. So like you said, if I can be an extension of what they want, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, it's, it's definitely a wonderful thing. And, and and again, you know, it's, it's you being quote unquote, an ambassador or or an extension of of who the band is, is an important thing because, you know, if uh, you know, you're having a, a crappy day and that crappy day bleeds out into what you're doing in a day, you know, you know, I, you think most people can separate. Oh, that's happened you know? too. Yeah. That's happened too. I mean, I've definitely like, I've definitely got into like full blown screaming matches with kids at the merch <laughs> table too. Yeah. But it's just like, that's not what I want to do. But I mean, of course, that's happened. Mm-hmm. But it, it's just like, it, where it's not like every job, it is like every job. You know, you're going to have people that are going to get under your skin mm-hmm. and annoy you. And then you're going to have people that you're just like, wow, that was a, really great person yeah of course and, and i mean you know that's that's the human element of it all you know it's just any any given day you're not quite sure who you're going to meet or, or anything but you know that's probably another another really cool thing about you know doing what you get to do is you get to you know travel around with people that um you know you uh you care about you know for the most part you know right and uh and you get to uh, see a little bit of the country and, you know, get to do some cool stuff. So uh, I have one, uh, one other quick question just before we kind of um, head into uh, doing a little bit of a, of an ad read for our buddies in drafts Kings, and then kind of talk a little bit about hockey. But uh, so um, I kind of as a cool little, little transition. So um, how, I guess, uh, how often do you come across, you know, people that are, you know, in your line of work that are, you know, both music fans and, and hockey fans. Um, and, um, you know, cause we kind of, this is our bread and butter, right? So, I mean, I know there's a lot of parallels that, you know, we see on message boards and websites and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, I know that, you know, when you're at least with four year, I know you guys have, uh, you know, some of the VG stuff and, uh, you know, some of the, some of the, the B stuff that, uh, you know, four years kind of made designs around. So, um, do you get a lot of people who, you know, talk to you about that? And do you get to share, you know, some of your, you know, your hockey stories with people? There's not a ton. I mean, and you, and you find out who they are pretty quickly because that's Mm. usually one of your first questions when meeting somebody or you see somebody wearing a team's gear or something, and you try to make a conversation as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, we're going to be friends (laughs) because you uh, share the same, sickness that i do of being hot <laughs> but uh yeah like i mean and you guys have hit a lot of those people that i've met um some of these tours where it is like a crew that i'm not familiar with um you'll i'll run into more like oh this guy that's like a carpenter that's like 40 years old that's been touring for 25 years and used to work for prince and this person like oh he grew up in pittsburgh and he's a diehard penguins fan but just in mm-hmm. a very like normie person way yeah 
you, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'll go to one or two games like every five years. Like, so, I mean, there is definitely that spectrum of like, oh, these people are like punk and hockey fans. And then these people are just like the hockey fans. You go to a game and see this guy crushing a beer and a pretzel kind of thing. <laughs> no, I, I, it's, it's true. You know, I, I, I could understand that for sure. Uh, but um, yeah, I, you know, some of the, some of the stuff that, uh, you know, four years done, spe- you know, specifically again, you know, calling out their, uh, you know, their um, crossover with VG. And of course, you know, some of the designs they've done in general are just, uh, are just great. Um, so, you know, do you like, do you find, I guess um, I, this is probably like a, a, a tough question cause it's probably so open, but like, do you find like, you know, anytime, like, you know, you, you, you sell like some gear that has any sort of hockey crossover, you're just like, Oh, like, what you know? What do you think? Like you know, who do you rep and all that kind of stuff? And is it like where I'd think you know, and like your Boston's and your Chicago's and all that stuff, or is it like you know, all of a sudden someone comes into Nebraska is like, yeah, man, I, you know, I, I love hockey. <laughs> well, with four year, like, I mean, to avoid the cease and desist, there's a particular <laughs> thing in the NHL that the four year has ripped, and anybody <laughs> can figure out who it is if you have half of a brain, but, um, <laughs> that shirt always does really well for us. Like yeah. regardless, like we try to keep it a Massachusetts or new England centric thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, there have been times where we've had a couple leftover pieces that like, there'll be a kid in Salt Lake city, Utah, Oh, huge Bruins guy. <laughs> like I'll take that. Like, and then like, I see a lot of kids, uh, especially in the Midwest, like you say, Nebraska, like kids yeah. like that, like are just going to be wild fans or Chicago fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of the, like the blanket. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in our world, you'll definitely see a kid like rocking a Jersey every now and then or something. And I always mm-hmm. start a conversation with those people just because it's something I can like provide again, the customer service aspect of like being conversational throughout the transaction to take mm-hmm. away the like, just the harsh like business of it of like oh i'm trying to sell you something you're trying to buy something like yeah it's not just a money transaction we're glad you're here and if you i can talk to you and make your experience a little more memorable of like like i was cool remember when we did that and he told us this or yeah overshared probably like (laughs) sure like so like it's usually like a conversation starter um and a lot of times it'll come by way of me wearing a hockey shirt and then someone bringing it up to me. There you go. So like one, like I have an old Brett Hall shirt. I'm not a stars fan at all, but like when I first started playing hockey and enjoying hockey and watching hockey, like the stars were like the team. Sure. Were. That like yep. Madonna, Hall, Darian Hatcher, mm-hmm. Belfort, yep. those yep. teams, like Zuboff, like those guys, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so like I loved Brett Hall, you know I was like this dude's sick, crazy one timer. Like he looks a thousand years old, but he's not. Like <laughs> so like that's a shirt I'll wear from time to time that people like surprisingly enough will be like stars guy, and I'm like no, and then I had to explain the whole Brett Hall. <laughs> yep. Like I guess there's all these like sleeper stars fans like throughout the like weird dichotomy of the United States of like, Oh yeah. From Dallas or from Texas yeah. or like, Albany, New York. 
yeah. <laughs> so big. Like, I mean, I guess with transplanted people, like yep. the stars were like the only inkling of hockey that they had. So I guess they're going to know at least about Brett Hall for sure. I, I think it really comes back to Mike Madonna. Like yeah. if, if you're a, a USA hockey fan in yep. the 90s. Oh, yeah. He's your guy. So yeah. like that's why it makes sense when Derek like made that connection. I was just like, all right. Yeah, I get it. Like you're in Albany, New York. There's not really a, a, a local team. So that's that's a kind of team you can gravitate towards because like the star of your country's hockey team plays on that team. Well, I mean, look how cool he was too. He, oh, yeah. he was like a guy at the time that like he was one of the first guys that had like hockey hair, like yep. had long hair. Yep. And like it wasn't like a straight up mullet. He just had like shaggy hair. He was so fast. His jersey was like he was the first player I, I remember watching of like Look at his jersey. Like, it is, like, flowing behind him because he's so fast. And then, like, him being in the Mighty Ducks movie. Like, people made that connection because there's a million people that have seen that movie just as a casual Disney fan or a diehard Disney fan or whatever. But, like, that might not actually be a hockey person at all. But, like, they've seen Mike Madonna as a pop culture reference. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> For sure. It makes, it makes you wonder – if Mike Madonna was playing hockey in the year, you know, 2021, if he would be like an actual celebrity because yeah, hockey fans all know who he is, but the casual person that maybe watches a game a year had no idea who he was. It's TJ Oshi now. Yeah. yeah. Like that's captain America. Not like, and I mean, when was that Olympics that he like the shootout stuff? I can't even remember. Yeah, I think it was like 2014. But people yeah. still like that's like that clip gets showed of him once every two or three Capitals games mm-hmm. because they still bring it up that like remember when he did this crazy thing for the United States? Like, yeah. And most people are like, yeah, sure. So like, I mean, Oshi hasn't had like any sort of like movie credits, but like. Same thing, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But still, for sure, he's, uh, you know, and that's all it takes sometimes, you know. Sometimes it just takes a, uh, a an incredible performance on a global stage, and all of a sudden you uh, you start getting some deals from Gatorade and shit. But before we uh, – Hold on. We... I, I just got to ask real quick. <laughs> that Brett Hull shirt, how much How much did Derek offer to buy that from you? Nothing. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think he knew. I think he knew that that was just not going to happen. So, <laughs> wasn't leaving your back. Not a chance. No, no. <laughs> but uh, cool, awesome. So, uh, you know, before we jump into talking a little bit more about uh, uh, your association with the e- ECHL and uh, you know, obviously getting some hockey talk here, let's take a quick pause and uh, just um, you know talk a little bit about our sponsor, DraftKings. Uh, you know, we're really, really uh, pumped that uh, they're on board with us. They're doing great things. And, uh, you know, everybody loves an, an action-packed, high-scoring game. Uh, and the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, uh, who, of course, are the uh, official sports betting partner of the NFL, uh, you'll be a winner once one single point is scored, which is unbelievable. So uh, you bet $1 on any team to score in a game, and you win $100 in free bets. So, I mean, that's kind of like it's ridiculous. 
any team. I mean, I don't remember the last time if, if there ever was a, a game that was zero zero. So you 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 pick uh you know one team to win and you're gonna win. So it's really cool. So if sportsbook isn't available in your state, you can still get it on the NFL action. Uh, everyone can play for really big cash prizes all season long uh, with DraftKings Dan- uh, Daily Fantasy Sports Contest, and they're giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with just their first deposit. So no brainer. Um, you know, get it on there. Uh, and uh, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. You can use that promo code THPN, Hockey Podcast Network. Uh, again, THPN. You bet $1 on any team to score, win $100 in free bets. So, again, any team, $100 in free bets. It's awesome. If they score, you score. Again, promo code THPN. Uh, this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, and, of course, they are an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And, uh, you know, again, remember, you got to be 21 years or older, New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Uh, minimum $5 deposit, $1 wager required. One per customer, and restrictions will apply. So see DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And uh, that's all we got. So, um <laughs> I just love that you got this new microphone and now you're trying to talk like all podcasty. I'm trying to I'm trying to talk in a way where like my voice doesn't just explode into like the back of my back. I don't think that's a possible thing, but that's how I feel. I had a bunch of gin and tonics like for like two days straight. So you were in Tampa for that? Yeah. So um it I, I just started a, a new job in, in recruiting and I work for this company called uh, Synergy Interactive. Shout out Justin Robertson if he's listening because he's listening. So uh, my <laughs> our buddy uh, in this band, local band uh, down in Florida called Out of Time, uh, developed a friendship with him. He got me this new job. And uh, yeah, they're uh, one of those companies, you know, like the whole work hard, play hard mentality. That's that's them. Uh, so they were like, hey, for Christmas, we're going to take you guys all to Tampa. We're going to put you on this like boat. The boat's going to have like an open bar. And you're just going to drink like the owner of the company was there, like the actual owner. Like, and he just like every time like I'd walk by him, he'd be like, Tommy, have another drink. What are you drinking? Gin? Great. More Where gin. Do you guys I was stand like, on Florida. <laughs> What'd you say? Where do you guys stand on Florida? Well, I live in Florida, so I literally stand in it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, honestly, uh, if if I'm being honest, there are. Uh, Bits and pieces of Florida that I'd keep. The other parts I would probably saw off and just let float into the ocean. I, I have a feeling you feel the same way. Uh, so I used to absolutely have like full-blown disdain for Florida other than Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tampa was one of the the cities that we would play a couple of hockey tournaments in every year. Mm-hmm. So I had like fond memories of Tampa and Brandon and places like that. Yep. Um, and then early years of touring when it was still like in the very DIY or van stage of things mm-hmm. was the worst because like whatever shitty little church family we in never had AC. Oh yeah. Um, wasn't super conducive to sleeping in the parking lot of a Walmart yep. kind of thing. I was just always too hot, but like now that I've gotten older and like I'm big outdoors guy, I love hunting, love fishing. Uh, Florida's just one of those cool hubs for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then have in the last few years had some cool times in Florida. So you, ca- you can like, you can have some cool times in Florida. And like a lot of my memories before I moved down to Orlando uh, were based around 
you know, getting all my buddies together and going to Gainesville for the fest. And like, I have mm-hmm. incredible memories. I've met incredible people there. Um, I mean, Gainesville in general, you know, not to upset anybody, but Gainesville in general is kind of like a shithole to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, but that, yeah. But I mean, but that weekend every year, you know, when all of those bars empty out because all the UF kids, you know, go to, um, go to Jacksonville for the, you know, for the Bulldogs game. And it's just, you know, punks and ska kids and, you know, everyone just kind of there for the same reason. Cause they want to go see hot water music or against yeah. me or less than Jake. And it's just like, I love it. You know, I, I think the camaraderie there is a great thing and living in Orlando is um, you know, there are some good things and bad things. I mean, Orlando generally is a more socially conscious place, which I think is a nice thing. Um, a little bit, you know, more inclusive in terms of diversity and equality, which is nice. Um, but you know, there are the, you know, every time I you know, go 10 minutes away from my house and I pass, you know, the Pulse nightclub, I'm just reminded of like the, you know, the atrocities that can happen anywhere, right. uh, you know, especially right outside of your backyard. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a crappy thing there, but um, at least, you know, there are some little pockets of, uh, of Florida that are getting a little bit better um, in, in, you know, understanding kind of the things that we need to do as a country to get better. Some places, not so much. I was at like a flea market three weeks ago and like every single person at this flea market was just like, let's go branding everything. And I was like, this is, this is so stupid, but you know, I, what, you know, what am I going to tell these people? You know? <laughs> it's just insane, but um, cool. So, you know, Florida and you know what, actually cool transition. Cause let's talk a little bit about Florida. Right. So, mm-hmm. so the bolts, right. So I was just in Tampa actually, um, after we got off the boat, I like drunkenly stumbled into this bolts bar. Uh, we actually all did. And uh, I kind of like forgot where I was for a second. And every time, like I'd see like someone in a bolt sweater, I'd be like, oh, let's go Islanders. And then like, finally my buddy, Justin, who was sober, let's looks at me and he's like, dude, like we're in bolts country, man. And I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. But, um, Tampa's one of those places, man. That's like an anomaly because like who would ever think that like, you know, people would really give a crap about hockey in Tampa. Um, And, you know, and for a while people didn't. Right. You know, and then I guess it took like, you know, what is it? Oh, three, oh, four with, you know, the Cavalier and St. Louis and all that stuff for people to really start catching on to Bolts hockey. And then, of course, they draft Stamkos and, you know, they put together the team they have. And now it's like, you know, one of the premier places in the country uh, to see a hockey game. You know, so um, did you I don't know, had, had you ever have you ever had an opportunity to catch a game in Amelie or anything like that yet? So I haven't been to Amelie, okay. uh, but my weird tie to Florida hockey is growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, we only had an ECHL team. Okay. And the first hockey game I ever went to was a Greenville Growl uh, Florida Everblades game. So oh, wow. The Florida Everblades are a team that uh, kind of are in the patchwork of my hockey uh, fandom Uh and probably the, a big reason why I've played hockey for 20 plus years. And sure. uh, I don't think if I'd ever not seen that game or gone to that game in particular, like if it would have stuck with me the same way, like this was the old way ECHL where it was like kind of a scary place to play. Oh yeah. I had to have like some screws loose kind of thing. Like there was probably <laughs> five or six fights at the time. And like, just being a little kid, that was like a big like draw to the sport, you know, because mm-hmm. it was like, holy shit, like, didn't know it was this. 
but uh, since then, like, have played in Jermaine Arena. I think it's the Hertz Arena now where the Everblades play. Like, I've played on that ice, uh, been to games there. Uh, one of the tournaments I mentioned earlier, like, we would play down there. Um, they would have, like, a college invite, like a four-team round-robin tournament. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so, like, we would play in a tournament down there, and then uh, – on like our off days, the college teams would be playing and vice versa kind of thing. So like there was one year where it was like St. Cloud, Princeton, Harvard, and somebody like another like random college Cornell, I believe. Okay. So it was cool. Like uh, that was like random player. I just remember being there like Taylor Fadoon, like, <laughs> kind of a short-term NHL guy, but, like, that was a guy that just stuck out of, like, oh, that guy was in that tournament. And, like, who who knows who else was playing on any of those four teams while we were there. But uh, that's kind of my ties to Florida hockey. And the Florida Everblades have been a very consistent ECHL team that are always in the higher rung of the ECHL. They've won a few Kelly Cups. Um one of the best ECHL players I've ever seen uh, as far as like a true like ECHLer that never really like worked out anywhere else, but like kind of had that league in his pocket, Matthew Waugh. Um, that guy was putting up three or four points a night in the ECHL and just go radio silent. Went and played in Europe, did okay. But like the ECHL, he just had it figured out. Wow. So – I want to talk a little bit about the ECHL because, you know, Tom and I are from New York where unless you're like really like, I don't want to say this, but like balls deep in hockey, like you don't really even know what the ECHL is. Like obviously Tom and I do because we're just hockey fanatics, but it really is. And at least it was like the only way you could watch live hockey in the South. Right. For a while. And there were so many teams. That's what I mean. Like, you know, they really are the ambassadors for the game in the South. You know, now, especially with the Atlanta Thrashers gone, like you you got a, a few states that don't have hockey, like professional hockey teams. And like, you know, South Carolina, Georgia don't have teams. And then, you know, Alabama, like those areas do not have professional hockey teams. So, like you said, there was a ton of ECHL teams in the South. Right. So at a time, like Pat Kelly, the founder of the league, um, amazing guy, uh, amazing stories. Uh, he stepped down as like the commissioner role now, but he's kind of like the commissioner in memoriam or whatever it is, where it's just like, while he's not in the position, it's still very much his position kind of thing. Um but great guy, great stories. Still comes to a lot of Greenville games because he lives in Charlotte. So I've gotten to meet him and talk to him a good bit. Like, very funny, very witty old guy. Like, he had a vision for what that league could be. And I think he, like, capitalized fully on it. But when I first started going to hockey games, I guess it was 1999, like, the ECHL, like, there were teams in Greenville, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, Florence, South Carolina, 
Charleston, South Carolina. There were the four teams in South Carolina alone. They had like a Palmetto Cup, like a tournament within the state. Love that. Of basically, like the points leader would win this like non-actual like <laughs> league award, but there were enough teams to do it. And then like Little Rock, Arkansas had two teams at one point. Uh, Louisiana had two or three teams. Mississippi had two teams. So it, it was just crazy. Like at one point, there was like more teams in the ECHL than there were in the NHL. And because of my, I don't know why my brain works this way, and it's all useful or useless information, really. <laughs> but uh, minor league sports is kind of like my strange uh, savant element. Like I know all the defunct teams who they fed into. Um, minor league hockey, minor league baseball, like those two teams, like it's how I learned geography as a little kid. And <laughs> like that. you were alluding to, I lived in Greenville, South Carolina. It was two hours to Charlotte and almost three hours to Atlanta. So, and I grew up in a family that like, we didn't have money to buy Braves tickets every time we wanted to go to a bra- uh, baseball game. We couldn't drive to Charlotte to go to Hornets games. Uh, Atlanta was just becoming a team. So it wasn't like a, a thing we knew about. So like my intro into professional sports was all minor league and like would learn cities based on whatever team was in a city. So there's just weird ties to it. I have all over the place, but. So I, I think then probably the cool thing seeing as you have some savantism with this and I can talk to you about it because I, uh, have a free subscription to Wikipedia here um, is uh, let's talk about uh, probably the only team that's ever been in professional sports to actually not only be called the growl, but have three R's so that you actually have to say their name, the Greenville growl. Yep. And uh, so, but those are like your, the hometown team. I think those uh, guys right there. Like I, uh, they were a Thrashers and Bruins affiliate. They All had right. a split affiliation, so they had a few guys that were on the contract with both um, because that was a time where you saw a lot more ECHL guys uh, make it into the NHL. Growl, mm-hmm. probably most notably Alex Burroughs. He Ooh. played in Greenville for a season or two and then wow. like, went on to have a very long uh, NHL career. Mm-hmm. That's so, – uh- I, it's it's so awesome and uh, also like this this logo is like the most like late 90s early 2000s logo it's fantastic oh and there are three r's in greenville in the logo too fantastic yep. i love that that's incredible <laughs> um but yeah so but uh, to mikey's point yeah there's uh, you know there's something to be said about that like so I haven't had the pleasure to go to a solar bears game yet in Orlando. And and that's something that I'm definitely missing out on. And I've got to change soon, but um, like, there's a, like, there's a presence in Orlando, like around the solar bears. Like, I mean, I, you know, they get a couple of thousand people at each game and, you know, but like everybody that's been to a solar bears game only has good things to say about it, you know? Yeah. And, and I can, I mean, granted we're, you know, this is the AHL and not the ECHL, but I mean, like, Mikey and I have been to uh, Bridgeport Sound Tigers, you know, the Bridgeport Islanders, but we've been to Sound Tigers games probably four or five times. And while Bridgeport, Connecticut is a, is a real wild place. um, I mean, that arena 
is a beautiful arena. The sight lines are great. It's always a blast. Tickets are inexpensive. You know, like I feel like some, you know, there are some markets in the NHL where like you can be lucky enough to go to go to games and, you know, have a great place to sit and not spend a ton of money. But like there are other places, you know, like Madison Square Garden, for instance, where it's like, you know, you're you're not getting in that arena without spending a couple of hundred bucks. And that's not right. including your food or your drink or, or whatever. So, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing for people that are trying to dip their toes into the sport that they have the e ECHL and the AHL so that they can go see a game for, you know, 20, 30 bucks or whatever. And not only that, but then like you, you use that kind of as like a, okay, you know, like I, you know, I went to this ECHL game and you know, I saw this guy play now, you know, four years later when I'm really into hockey, all of a sudden, you know, that guy skates onto the ice for his first game on, on the, on the Red Wings or on the Canadians. And you're like, Holy crap. I saw that guy play. He scored two goals. Yeah. You know, and it was me and 800 people. And I think the cool parallel to that in my mind, it, it kind of ties into music, right? You know, cause like everyone that loves alternative music for the most part, like you love to see your favorite musicians grow. Right. So like, you know, you love to say things like, Oh yeah, I remember you know, I saw fallout boy, you know, play you know for 50 people and now all of a sudden they're you know playing in i don't know yankee arenas. stadium or <laughs> arenas or whatever they're right so well, I, I love that sports is like at the root of it very punk yeah because like a lot of these dudes like are making next to no money they're doing it because they love to do it yeah you know and like a lot of them aren't thinking beyond this one game or this one season like they're not really fully fleshing out their future or setting themselves up for like a cushy retirement or anything like that. But at the, mm -hmm. in the moment, it's not important, you know? And I think all of us, like with whatever band we were hoping that was going to blow up or whatever shows, like we all can like sympathize and like get on board with that because uh, somebody like signing a $300 million contract in baseball or basketball or football or whatever, like, you can't really be like, that's my guy. That that's me. I can do that. But like yep. the guy that works his ass off and like gets a chance to sign is like, okay, you're on a three game PTO contract with this double a minor league hockey league team. Yep. Like anybody could be like, I could have maybe done that. Oh, this guy's getting paid a hundred bucks a game or whatever. Mm -hmm. okay, like that could be you. Like, or that could be somebody that like had committed, like that doesn't seem as unobtainable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean that parallel also, not that I'm really allowed to talk about this, but I, I do give myself 45 seconds every episode to talk about professional wrestling, but right. it's the same deal there. You know I mean? It's like, don't, you don't even shake your head. Um, now, I, is it I mean, one of my best friends growing up, a guy I grew up with is becoming a very successful professional wrestler. And a uh, little hidden gem here. I actually trained and wrestled a few matches as a professional wrestler myself. So are you, are you able to, to name this, this particular person that's becoming a Effie uh, fest wrestling. Effie no. love, love Effie, man. Effie yep. uh, Greenville, South Carolina guy went to college. Sure is. And, yep. Uh, actually wrestled Effie in his early years of being Effie. Um, mm -hmm. So Ephraim. Um, <laughs> so, but, yeah, he um he actually I, I was just kind of following. He he got into a pretty pretty high profile thing uh, over there at GCW with uh, the former Zack Ryder and Matt Cardona, which was uh 
really cool to see. Uh, but yeah, but the, the parallels there are very much the same, right? You, you see a guy who, you know, you know, the, the old adage, you know, wrestled, you know, armories and bingo halls and, you know, you follow his career and all of a sudden, you know, he, he pops up uh, on your TV. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm still waiting for the day that that my guy Juba just pops up on my TV because I know it's happening yeah. at some point soon. But yeah, we can only only hope. But but yeah, so um, uh, refereeing gig, uh, yeah. kind of interested to to um, so and and forgive my ignorance, but I know that like most referees are you know people that have played and and um and and kind of either transition to that or. But um, I'm just kind of interested in hearing like how that happened for you and, and you know, how it kind of came to be that you got that opportunity. Right. So uh, I am an off-ice official in the ECHL. Um, and just to put, put a, a face with the name of that, the guys you're seeing opening the penalty box that are wearing the tr- – suit with the NHL patch on it and the headset on. Mm-hmm. That is my position, but I'm one of the guys that's up in the press box. Oh, okay. Um, particular position within our crew is I'm basically the laptop guy. Um, oh, okay. So I'm I'm updating the live scoreboard for Greenville Swamp Rabbits games. Okay. Um, putting in stats. Basically, there's a team of guys behind me, a couple guys tracking plus minus, a couple guys watching the assists. Mm-hmm. The ECHL keeps uh, an abbreviated amount of stats compared to the NHL. We're not mm-hmm. tracking face-offs or an individual player's time on ice and hits and stuff like that. Uh, we're just kind of the meat and potatoes of it. Okay. Assists, goals, uh, plus, minus, goalies, save percentage, stuff like that. Okay. Um, so basically these guys are watching the game and just shouting over my shoulder, <laughs> shot from 16, uh, shot from this person, gold, gold number fourteen, assisted by twenty-two and eight. Like, and I'm just sitting there constantly putting that stuff in. Okay. Uh, tripping penalty number fourteen. Uh, never mind. Uh, coincidental. So it's just kind of a fast-paced thing. But uh, way I got into that, I've played hockey my entire life. Yep. Uh, I played junior hockey. I played. Uh, Division three club hockey, and most recently had signed to play uh, Division three hockey at a school in Virginia. That the pandemic uh, kind yep. of shattered that opportunity, but that's a that's a whole another story. <laughs> uh, but our crew chief in Greenville, Dave Chambers, was a guy that just is a beer league ref, USA Hockey certified referee uh, that hung around the rink I worked at a lot. Um, he's been the crew chief in Greenville since Greenville hockey was a thing. Um, and he just needed people a few years ago and knew that I knew the game beyond the playing aspect of it just because uh, just like anything, uh, much like the the lack of musicianship I made up for it with, <laughs> I was never the fastest guy or the strongest guy, but uh, I pride myself on my hockey IQ and playmaking ability. Mm-hmm. That's basically what got me any sort of roster spot growing up was sure. I know how to use my brain and make it work to my advantage on the ice, uh, despite not being the highest skill set guy. Okay. Uh, 
but Dave needed some guys that knew the game well enough to work the back end of it. Awesome. And came on in that first season. I worked probably 32 or the 36 home games. And then uh, the last couple of years has been a little less because of the touring schedule, but I Mm -hmm. still managed to get about a dozen to 20 games in a season. And most recently, actually this past Wednesday worked a, Swamp Rabbit Solar Bears game, and it was probably one of the sloppiest, most boring games I've watched in a while. But that's CCHL hockey. Sometimes. So, so I mean, I have to imagine, uh, like anytime you close your eyes, whether it's to go to sleep or just to like catch a breath, you probably just see Excel spreadsheets. Like that's probably all you see. Right. Right. Like- I, I can <laughs> a, a mean Excel sheet, so that is a plus. But. Uh, a lot of times on a formal resume, I can put that on there. But when these corporate hires don't understand or know who Movements is or Four Year Strong Touring yeah. LLC, yeah, they, <laughs> you know, they have no use, you know. Yeah, but I'll tell you what: if Microsoft, if Microsoft Excel specifically wants to start uh, sponsoring people, you should probably be the first person you. Right, I, I'll take the, I'll take the yearly subscription. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, uh, you know, I just kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, like your, your relationship with, with the NHL, right? Because, you know, again, being in South Carolina, you were relatively far, uh, you know, from the opportunity to, you know, probably see, you know, the NHL growing up. Um, do you remember, you know, like the first game you went to and, uh, you know, how far you had to travel for that and what that experience was like for you? Uh, the first NHL game I ever went to was a, it was a Thrashers game, and they were playing the Florida Panthers. All right. Uh, we had gotten tickets because the junior Thrashers were a team that were in the the division that I played in growing up. Uh, played double-A hockey in South Carolina. Uh, we were part of uh, what was originally the MAHL, the Mid-Atlantic Hockey League, and then that turned into the Carolina Hockey League. Youth hockey, you know how they change monikers every a uh, few years, but oh, yeah. uh, by way of playing the junior thrashers, they had some sort of deal that like once a year, each of their opponents, like their board of trustees or whatever, some kids' parents running the thing, uh, <laughs> yeah. give tickets, like a block of tickets to the opposing team. So like we would play on a Saturday afternoon at like 3 p.m., be done at 5-ish, and we went to that game. I don't remember a whole lot of details about it other than Ed Belfour playing for the Panthers at the time. So that was like uh, a weird uh, – just one of those things that doesn't look right because like he's not supposed to play for that team kind of thing. <laughs> he's not in a Stars jersey. He's not in a Blackhawks jersey, so it doesn't, doesn't look right. But that was the first one I went to. Can we talk about that? Because I – you know, I, I don't know many people who had the opportunity to catch a Thrashers game mm-hmm. it, like in in their arena because it was kind of short lived that maybe they existed for 10 years. Yeah. And like that. I just can't I can't wrap my head around why it didn't work, because, you know, Atlanta is full of Northeast transplants. They take like and the city's growing faster than it can keep up with and they just got a mls team and they 
set the record like every game for the most attendance. So like people are taking on to like their sport teams in the city of Atlanta. It just doesn't make sense why it didn't work. Um, to me, uh, I think the building can be somewhat to blame, but then there's the argument of like, well, the Atlanta Hawks played in the same building and they've kept up and stayed. But then the counter argument to that is the NBA has a lot more money to like support those teams. If it's not going the way it needs to, um, the, the arena they played in was in the CNN building. The uh, parking scenario there was never ideal. Um, security in and out of the building was not. Uh, th- this was even like early years, and then like the post nine eleven like security hype heightenings and things like that. Like it was very difficult to go to a game there, like because it was paired with like this building that like wasn't necessarily like concerned if there was a hockey game or not, you know, like it was a massive news purveyor. So that was the priority. Um, And then like the games themselves, like every time I would go to a Thrashers game, there would be more people that had traveled for the other team than actual Thrashers fans there. So I don't, I don't really know. Maybe because the teams were never good. Like, they never had the year that like really got them any sort of traction. Like if you look at the Panthers, like I know their attendance numbers now aren't great, but like in their first couple of years of being a team, they were like right Mm -hmm. in the mix of things. Vegas, like in most recent memory, like Mm -hmm. they did the Stanley cup finals. And like, so it does pay to have a team that like can put it together early on. Like despite like everyone thinking an expansion team is supposed to be in the bottom of the barrel, but like, if when those first two or three years are pivotal, if they can like even make the playoffs and you create your playoff culture around a team and like show what that team and like <laughs> city can bring to like that sort of atmosphere. Yeah. I think that helped and they never got that. I, th- I think there's something, <clears throat> excuse me, to be said about the, when the thrashers came into the league too. I mean, you know, I think their first season was 99, um, you know, and, um, I kind of feel like, you know, the enormity of hockey in the 90s, there was like a a little bit of a downturn as we came into the early 2000s. And then, of course, the lockout happened. And like that was just like a tremendous, you know, sledgehammer to the knee for the NHL. And I think um, it was tough for the for the Thrashers to kind of bounce back from that. I know they had, uh, I think, made the playoffs like one year if I remember correctly. And I think it was like the Rangers that knocked him out or something, but um, you know, it, it was, um, I, I remember, like, like I said, I was a big um, proponent of like during in high school, like I would, you know, fall asleep with sports center on and wake up with sports center on. Like that was just something, something I did. Like, I remember like, you know, like the coverage for the NHL through um, ESPN started dwindling more and more. And then after the lockout happened, they were essentially like persona non grata, but like, you know, I remember the, you know, the whole deal with like, you know, Danny Heatley crashing his car and all that kind of stuff. And like, you know, there, there are some little pockets of the thrashers kind of like being a small part of the, the, the NHL legacy, but you know, I guess it was just like a tough time for Southern hockey. And I mean, even like the Panthers went through it, like, you know, they were 
you know, their first couple of seasons, you know, they were, they were pretty big and uh, I forget what year it was. Was it um, the abs, right? Was it 96 maybe when they went to the, the cup finals? Um, I don't know. We're, we're not stack guys. I'm never going to yeah. try to pretend uh, that we uh, are, <laughs> but, uh, but like, you know, even like a, a team like the Panthers and, and we were talking about it with the, the bolts, even like they had their tumultuous years too, but they were able to pull out of it. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the thrashers weren't, but um, you know, I, I think that is cool. Uh, now, do you remember like from that game, do you remember like much about like the, like the, the atmosphere in the building? Like, what, like, is anything notably that you can name or like, or not really. I mean, the coolest like production aspect they had, they had like uh, this large mechanical thrasher head that would drop down. Um, awesome. fire if they scored a goal. Oh, shit. <laughs> you could like feel the heat off of the flame, like as it would do it. But other okay. than like, like I said, like every game I went to, and I probably went to a half dozen games over the course of them being there. Mm-hmm. Like every single time it was the other teams, like either booster club or just like transplant fans, like outweighed the, the Thrasher's fan base. Like, uh, I mean, being from South Carolina, like you would think like playing on a youth hockey team, like I would have had at least one or two like Thrasher's fans on the team I played with. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single Thrasher's fan. I didn't know any Thrasher's fans. Like everybody, like as a little kid, like as you do, like especially from South Carolina, like we all just pick teams. Like nobody really had like a, this is our team. Yeah, especially for a lot of us that were playing at the time, we're like the Hurricanes weren't in the league yet. The Thrashers weren't in the mm-hmm. league. Yet. So like I'm a Flyers fan because that was the closest team at the time that was like halfway decent, you know, and I was like a Rob Brendamore and Peter Forsberg guy. So I yeah. like both teams. Mm-hmm. So like I wasn't going to be a Capitals fan, which was the closest team, but no. Yeah. So nobody like the hurricanes came along and like, there were a lot of kids that like, as we got older, we're just like, nah, I'm like a Canes fan. But like to this day, I don't know a single thrashers fan of probably 200 kids that I shared a roster with or yeah. anybody. Like the only kids but- I knew were like the junior thrashers kids, but that was like our division rivals. So like yep. those guys, I'm not talking to them. <laughs> That last team, though, before they like obviously moved to Winnipeg. Yep. I think that could have been the year, man. Like you had Coughlin, right? Kovalchuk, Lad. Like, yeah. you know, those guys had a few more years of like top tier talent in them. Yeah. Right when the team decided to leave. Like, if they could have stuck that out and got like a few other guys on that roster for another year or two. Yeah. They could have had that playoff moment that really just saved the team. Uh, goaltending was always a big problem for the Thrashers. Like, Lettinen being kind of like the the star guy there kind of speaks volumes of, like, what they actually had. Like, I know Lettinen, like, carved out a few-year career, but he was never, like, a number true number one goalie. Yeah, so, I can't even think of another goalie other than him. Plays <laughs> for like free agents or anything to come either. Like, I don't think a lot of guys like you, you get a lot of guys wanting to go to Florida to play in the sunshine, you know, to avoid the cold and the no and no like, income tax. Weird, like 
weird metro like known for its traffic like there's the black eye of like the crime in atlanta and stuff like that so like i feel like a lot of these guys didn't know anything about atlanta so they're not gonna like jump at the opportunity to be like yeah i'll i'll sign there go live in georgia <laughs> yeah it's unfortunate because you know especially now that i'm in charlotte north carolina it'd be nice if there was another team closer than, you know, yes, obviously it's nice to have the hurricanes in Raleigh, which is like two and a half hours away. But then outside of that, there's nothing else close to me, you know, other than Nashville, which is like almost eight hours away. Yeah. So it would have been nice to have Atlanta, you know, like three hours away for three and a half hours away. So, but it stinks. Like what we were talking about was just like the canes, like, everybody talks about how difficult that building is to play in. And if you've been there like in a meaningful game, that building is insane. Insane. And then Nashville has its own thing. Like they still do well, whether it's regular season or not, like people go there as like an event. It's not just a hockey game. So like, I I don't necessarily believe that like, Oh, Southern market can't capitalize on hockey. But just there was just something about Atlanta that like it didn't didn't work. Like the the ECHL team in Atlanta, the Gladiators, like they also struggle with attendance is on par with like the rest of the league. Like it's not like way under what anybody else is averaging, but they're also a place that like front office struggles like oh the team's done like we're folding out and then the next year they're like eh, one more year and like oh there's just something like and they're in Gwinnett County so they're like higher up they're not even in like metro Atlanta at all so I don't know there's just something about that area that hasn't caught on the youth hockey programs in Atlanta are great they've got the junior programs there that are solid like uh, I don't know Making Georgia has a team. Yeah. Um, I, you know, it's, uh, I, I think it's, uh, I, you know, as an NHL fan, just in general, I think, uh, you know, anytime like a team folds or anything, it, it's, it's sad, right? Because, you know, it's a, it, it's something that you love and, you know, you don't want to see, you know, any part of uh, the NHL struggle. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just really hoping for good things. I think that, you know, with this partnership with ESPN and what is it TNT and all this stuff. I mean, it's going to be going to be good for good for the league. So um, I guess real quick, you know, we've been shooting the shit for about an hour 20. So I guess we'll just uh, do, do one last question each and then go ahead and wrap this up and let you get on your way. And again, we appreciate you taking the time and, you know, getting up early in the morning and chatting with us. But uh, so the last question I I have for you, um, I'm going to kind of swing it back to, to music as I always like to do, but um, so you know, being that you're, you know, kind of, you know, between four year and movements and also going out with uh, country artists and, you know, opera singers and all this kind of stuff, uh, you know, I'm sure you have a, a tremendous, you know, cross section of all of the things that you listen to. But, uh, you know, as we're winding this year down, uh, you know, there's been a lot of great music that came out in 2021. If you could pick two, just two of your favorite albums of the year. Love to hear what they what they were. Uh, the most recent Angel Dust uh, release was very cool. Um, mm-hmm. I'm very bad at <laughs> knowing when anything comes out. Um, to be honest with you, I don't listen to a ton of music because it, it's like the work and play kind of thing. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that sucks. <laughs> and then I am, uh, but I am like an old school country guy. So like uh, if George Jones was still releasing music in 2021 and wasn't dead and in the ground, I he would probably be on the list. Uh, but that Turnstile uh, record was very cool. Sure was, yeah. Uh, Angel record was very cool. Um, and then some of my country artists that I really like put out some stuff this year that were uh, – they were cool. Uh, Coulter Walt, uh, Charlie Crockett is a big one. I don't know if you're familiar at all, but he's just kind of a very Americana, uh, right. newer country <clears throat> artist. But like, if you were to see a photo of him, you would be like, this guy uh, is from 1972. So but very cool music. Uh, so got to check him out. Yep. So I, my, my final question is, uh, can we expect Jennings Compton to hit the road doing some stand-up again? Uh, I'm hoping so. Uh, the pandemic definitely threw the brakes on not my pursuit of comedy, but just being able to perform comedy the way I wanted to. Uh, I'm not somebody that I feel like I can make myself funny on like a Zoom uh show or something like that i'm not funny on instagram i don't have twitter i'm just bad at social media in general um <laughs> some people can do that that's great i just don't have that ability i like doing a live show um and then now that touring's back together or rolling again like i need to start taking care of myself uh from the financial standpoint being somewhat responsible and getting few tours under my belt uh touring was a way that i could get or stand-up touring was a way i could get back to like the diy roots because like no matter Mm -hmm. what like while yes touring is my livelihood it's how i pay my bills um that's how i feed my dog and take care of my family uh diy touring is still the most fun i've ever had touring when it was just me and my friends and like a shitty church van that the fuel gauge didn't work so we would run out of gas every day <laughs> um uh playing house shows that sort of thing uh i have more memories and laughs of that uh than i do working um just because that was when we were making no money and spending our own money to do it so we truly wanted to do it there was no work aspect to it it was just us going and doing it um, and stand up is something I wanted to do. I'm still a very creative person, even though I've worked behind the scenes on a lot of tours now. And that was something I felt like I could do. Um, I've always been a stand up fan, a uh, comedy fan in general. Uh, and it's just a personality trait that I felt like I could make work for myself. Um, but going back to the DIY touring comedy was a way I could do that. So right now, just the way my schedule is and everything, uh, it's a thing I can plan in my free time, but it just doesn't make sense currently to step away from work after not working for almost two years. Of course. To pay to go out to use my own car, (laughs) gas, get $7 from the show because there were – seven people there like <laughs> that kind of thing i i will do it again uh, obviously it's not all about money 
but I just got to capitalize while work is back going. But uh, by the end of the year, I'll definitely have one or two runs rolling. Now, I, I just want to comment on that because, you know, I caught your, your set that you uh, did with, you know, keep flying on that run. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was the the coolest, most interesting show that I've ever attended just because like, you know, I've been to probably 500 shows in my lifetime and it's kind of like the same. And like sometimes right. I forget, you know, what what makes that show stand out compared to another one. But that's one that I remember because it was so different than what I'm used to. And I would love to see more of that. And, you know, it'd be cool if, you know, bands started to do things like that, especially that 15, 20 minutes between sets, you know, like when the band's setting up instead of like the, the house DJ playing just like, an emo night song yeah, if they had the, everybody just heard the taking back sunday song yeah that's what i mean <laughs> we like heard. so you know on this like last bigger tour that you did did you like pitch it to them like yo like do you guys mind in between a set if i jump up there and tell so, some jokes so uh, i have done that in the past four year has given me some time before their set seaway was another band like one of the first bands that was just like sure while we're setting up go for it uh, the issue with that becomes uh, it, it's hard to get a crowd that is so used to, oh, in between bands, this is when I can go take a piss, go grab a drink, uh, actually hear my friends talk yep. uh, and that kind of thing. It's hard to go up there uh, between sets and just be like, everybody shut up. You don't know who I am, but shut up. I'm going to talk at you for five to ten minutes now and now will laugh. Um it works when you're in a setting of my name is on the flyer or there's somebody that can say, Hey, there's going to be a comedian come up here and do a little time. If you guys don't mind uh, giving him courtesy and just giving it a listen kind of thing. Yep. So while I've done that, it's just not the best uh, arena for comedy just because of the circumstances of trying to like buck the norm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not something I'm opposed to, but it has worked better when I am there as advertised. Because oh, some people yeah. would just be like, what the hell is this? So why is this guy now talking at me <laughs> and go pay $9 for this beer at this bar? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, it is the kind of thing that like in the future, um, as I start booking my stuff, I do like just for anybody listening – most of my stand-up shows, I'm going to be opening for a band or doing something with a band just because that is the the niche that I'm in. Like, I already have these contacts made. Uh, I don't particularly like the comedy club scene. Uh, it's got its own set of politics that are just very outdated and shitty. Um, music's what I like, and a lot of my stories and references, those people are going to get it. And that might be a lazy way of doing it, according to some comics that are so up their own ass that they still think they're going to make it onto SNL or something like that when they can't even get past a three-minute set and open mic. But Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a competition for me, and that's what so much of comedy and comedy clubs is about. Everybody is very snaky. um, So, like, opening for music, 
works best for me and like i'm just leaning into that so uh long-winded way of answering your question if i do tour in the future which i will tour in the future doing something like fest where it's like a music festival that has a comedy stage that's yep. awesome Fest Absolutely. is one of the three or four things that is on my short bucket list of like things i in comedy that i want to achieve before i hang it up or whatever like i don't have plans to hang it up but um that's just something that's on the list of what i want to do with my comedy yeah and um, then you know if you get to do that you get the uh the the fe jennings reunion yep yeah there you so, go that's that's where it is but yeah i mean that's something we would love to see for sure um but you know jennings really you know honestly again thank you so much for taking the time to no kind of give us some insight into the world of what you do and again you know, really the importance of of what you do and you know what goes into you know managing merchandise and and uh and you know just essentially being again you know not to you know to beat a dead horse but an ambassador for you know the, the person you're going out with you know just because again like we said sometimes you're the only person they get to talk to so for that we appreciate it uh you know keep doing what you do thank you so much for giving us the you know the insight about you know what you do with echl you know i, I of course i hear you know off ice official and here i am thinking that you know you're fucking the guy in the zebra stripes you know i'm little do i know i'm the dummy but um the more you talk about what you do i mean like i'm like man that's super cool because uh I grew up, uh, you know, being like an eight, nine year old little nerd who had like a notebook and like I made up my own like stats and teams. And oh, I think yeah. I, I made up four different hockey teams when I was like a nine year old and just Everybody's build done. out, build out their, their whole, their whole lineage of stats for a whole year. So I love that kind of stuff. But, um, again, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on here with us. Okay. Um, love it. You know, would love to see you, um, you know, coming through, do a set and, uh, I think that'll be a great thing, but uh, really appreciate you. Hope you have a great night tonight, and uh, we'll definitely catch you on the other side, all right? Guys, appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. brother. Have a good one. Later, boys. Be well.